Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, I wanted to make a quick announcement. If your brand is doing 10 to $100 million in annual e-commerce revenue, CTC wants to work with you. And here's the kicker. If we evaluate your brand and its GQ score is 130 or more, we're so confident that we can win for you that your first month with us will be absolutely free. So just head over to commonthreadco.com, click the hire us button to get started, and then just let us know in the contact form that you want to be evaluated and we'll be in touch. All right, on to the show. Hey folks, welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gaffin, director of digital product strategy here at CTC. And I'm joined, as I always am, by Mr. Taylor Holiday, CEO here at Common Threat Collective. Taylor, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. Excited for this one. Yeah, as am I. Because not only am I joined by Taylor, as I always am, we're also joined by Dean Brennan, who's the CEO of Heart and Soil. Dean, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. And so part of the reason that we're having Dean on, or I would say the main reason, is that Dean's brand, Heart and Soil, which... Uh, Dean, you can maybe explain a little bit more about what the brand is exactly, but sort of broad strokes, heart and soil creates or creates, produces supplements, right? And you can get into the specifics of what those supplements are, but heart and soil also has the highest growth quotient score that we have ever seen. So much so that we had to actually tone down how much, how many points are given to you by the one-year LTV to NCAC metric just because theirs was so high. So heart and soil's growth quotient score to, to give you a little bit of context, of course, we've talked about it before, the elite level is 130. If you're at 130 with a growth, growth quotient score or over, we consider you to be a brand that has a lot of growth potential and that we would want to work with. Heart and Soil's growth quotient score is 460, which is almost three times the elite level. And so what we want to get into today is essentially the secrets of a 460 GQ brand. What are the elements that go into or what is the DNA that goes into a brand that can grow this quickly? And operate this well. So actually, maybe we'll kick it off, Taylor, with you telling us a little bit about giving some background on our relationship with Heart and Soil and yours with Dean. Yeah, I'm really excited to do this because I think with GQ, one of the things I think it's easy to underestimate is like how many different inputs we've analyzed in trying to understand the bounds of these, op what's possible. And so I think it's really cool to see the upper bound to go, okay, what does the 99th percentile outcome in this world that we live in look like? What are the attributes of it? What makes it work? And that's what we get to do today. And Dean uh, is incredibly gracious in the way he shares information. And Dean and I have known each other, what, a few years now, Dean? A couple, over, a little over two years. Uh, and as a CEO, you will be hard-pressed to find a human being that cares more about what he's doing, the mission that he's after, what the brand exists to, how it exists to impact people's lives, his desire to impact his employees in a similar way. So he's an amazing human who's running an amazing brand and we're going to learn a lot today. So Dean, thanks for joining, man. But give us the background. What the heck is Heart and Soil and how did you <laughs> how did you get to this space? Because I think your journey as a CEO too is is a fascinating one. Yeah, it's it's been a heck of a ride. So I think the origin point to all this for me at least starts way back when I was in college and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which, you know, if anybody listening to this right thinks about it, they probably know somebody in their lives or they themselves has struggled from an autoimmune condition, psoriasis, colitis, you can name, you know, a hundred of them. Going through that, I thought, well, it was grim because I was like, am I going to be in a colostomy bag? You know, I have to take this medication for the rest of my life. Um, and I always looked at myself like a healthy person. You know, I was an athlete, you know, I, I felt healthy other than that. I kind of went on this journey to figure out how the heck do I fix this outside of the medication? 
And I went for whole food alternatives because I was raised out in the country, uh, outside of the city anyway. And my parents didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So we ate real food. So my first thought was, you know, in college, I'm drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of processed food. And maybe if I cut that out, you know, maybe things will get better. So I started eating real food and got real obsessed with kind of health and nutrition and figured out a way to put my ulcerative colitis into a recessive state. So now, you know, if I go to the doctor and get a colonoscopy, they say, there's no sign of it. It's gone. So I went from being pretty sick to being pretty healthy just by making different lifestyle choices. So kind of figuring that out, I thought, wait a, wait a second, I got to tell more people about this. You know, like this, I know people in my life, cousins, friends, family, that also struggle with similar things. So I'm the type of person when I get into something, I'll tell a thousand people about it because I just get super excited. So that was going on. And then I was also pursuing a career as a content creator and also moved up into a leadership role, managing a studio, more on the creative end of, of things. And I always thought something was missing. I was like, you know, my spirit to truly thrive, I, I need to, I can't look at work and life like two different things. I have to marry them. So something was always missing. And I knew that for me to truly thrive, I didn't want to look at work and life as two different things. I wanted to look at work within my life. And I wanted to align things that I feel very strongly about and passionately about, whether that's storytelling, business, health, wellness, nutrition, leadership. And I wanted to combine that into you know, one role. And I didn't know what that looked like, but in 2020, during the pandemic, I ran into an MD, Dr. Paul Saladino. I was into kind of the carnivore animal-based type of approach. Cause again, I was always geeking out about nutrition and he was starting this business and selling the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, most bioavailable foods with that nutrient makeup, which are organs, you know, it's liver, it's heart, it's pancreas, spleen. And I was using organ supplements myself to, to better help my health and was a huge fan of them. So I was 100% from day one, like, let's do this. So left my corporate job in FinTech, which was very, com very comfortable, very comfortable situation there. I was, I was doing well in my career. And I went to this company that pretty much didn't exist and <laughs> tough decision with the wife trying to get agreement there. But eventually she's like, you have to do this. I pictured myself 80 years old, do this exercise sometimes. And you look, you look back and you're like, what, what would I regret? And I was like, this is one of those moments where I would regret not taking the sleep. So I'm going to go do it. I'm going to put a hundred percent of my effort and my energy, zero experience in e-commerce, but I'm going to figure it out. And so that's what I did. I took the leap and we started the business and probably a lot to say about the journey of the business, but that's. So what I love, can I just say something? So I have, when I first met Dean and his partners, we went to dinner, uh, which you'd go eat with these guys. It's a hell of an experience because they're just going to, they're just going to order any meat item on the menu. Appetizers, appetizers are like a nice filet, you know? It's, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the real deal. But here's what I noticed. Okay? And this is, this is one of the signals to me always when I know that there's something happening is when you ask someone to tell their business story and it sounds like a conversion story. So if you grew up, if you grew up in the, if you grew up in the church at all, you know, like the giving your testimony of how you came to believe what you believe is sort of like the baseline way that people sort of introduce or talk to each other. And that is the way that every single one of them talk about heart and soil. They don't talk about 
why the job was da 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 or how it was a good opportunity. They tell a story just like Dean told. I was sick and now I'm well. And when that happens, the level of connection and commitment to the idea and product is just exponentially different. And it literally shows up in data. It shows up in word of mouth because what did you hear Dean say he had to do? He had to tell other people. He had to evangelize. The experience was so impactful for him, he had to go spread the message, right? And then he was going to be committed to the ideology in a way that was going to be show up in organic reach and LTV, right? Like this is, this is literally in the story, you can hear the data begin to be formed. And that's what I knew, like, okay, this is the thing that makes heart and soil magic is that this data output, and Andrew Ferris likes to say that data reveals truth. And that's what I think LTV and organic reach do. They reveal the reality of the commitment to your product and how viral or sneezable, as Seth Godin would say, it is. And in Dean's story, I just want you all to notice that, is that that's the conversion story that creates the commitment that leads to the data we're going to talk about. Yeah. And so actually, real quick before we jump into that, I, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into that point, which is to say, maybe Dean, you can talk a little bit about why, why are people such believers in this product in a way like maybe other supplement brands aren't. So I was going to say, generally speaking, supplement brands aren't necessarily the best performing brands or the highest or have the most growth potential. So why is yours that way? Why are people so sort of evangelical to, about it? That's a good question. I think to put simply, because our product works and there's a lot of supplements out there that don't work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's really the, the root of all of this is that eating nutrient-dense animal foods, specifically organs, can really help your health. I mean, most people are in a state of nutrient inadequacies, which means they're not getting the micronutrients. And with synthetic vitamins and with other forms, it, it's sometimes difficult to get there. So I think the product's great. I think it works. I think it starts there. Secondarily, this is something that you don't hear a lot, right? Like it's kind of counter counter culture ish, I, I guess. And so I heard this thing one time, but I think it was Mark Manson guy that wrote a, a book about not giving an F. He said something about like, how, how do you become, you know, the top 1% of, of the 99%. And he said something like, you have to be a contrarian, have to be right about that idea. And you have to execute like hell to, to get that idea out and to spread it. And I think in the case of, you know, just animal foods and animal-based nutrition, I, I think that's the case. It's not mainstream. It's different. It catches people's attention. If you go to a friend's house and you've never seen organ supplements before and you see somebody taking a supplement and they tell you, hey, I'm just, I just ate some bull testicle, um, <laughs> you're going to be asking some questions about that. And I think it just yeah. kind of lends itself to being talked about. Yeah. There's so much there that, yeah, I, I, those are all great points. And I think oftentimes marketing messaging can sit in this way that sort of appeals generally to everybody and specifically to nobody. <laughs> and that is the worst kind of message, right? In reality, what you want is a polarized opinion with really strong advocates and really strong adversaries, because in both cases, your message is being discussed. It's the bland middle that disappears into, you know, the feed in a way that elicits very little response. And so I think there's something about diet usually is this way. Any in nutrition and health are religious in a lot of ways in terms of people's feeling and emotion about them. And then once someone's had a real life-changing experience to their health, 
it is very hard to undo that experience in any way. Like you can't counter that point with logic. It doesn't matter. I was this way and now I'm not is an irrefutable fact for my reality that's really hard to undo. And so when you create that for people, you create immense loyalty. And so I think there's, there's a lot there just in the messaging and category that I think so often we're afraid of this idea that we might alienate some portion of our audience. And in doing so, we actually endear ourselves to no one. And I think it's much yeah. better to find your tribe. Yeah. And there's definitely an element too that, that I've seen anyway of, of driving both the believer, obviously will continue to purchase the product, but also driving the skeptic because he doesn't believe in your claim to actually go try the product to see if it's true because he just wants to see for himself or wants to confirm that it's BS and then finds out that it's not essentially. We've had a lot, we have a lot of reviews of that same person who was a skeptic or they followed a different type of, you know, eating protocol before and they gave it a shot because they were, you know, open to something new and get a positive, positive experience out of it, you know, positive review. The other, the last thing I was going to say about that is to our, you know, our, our brand principles, you know, we're based in, in science and evidence-based nutrition. Our founder is an MD doctor. And I think that that's helped us a lot because with generally with alternatives, what I'll call alternative diets and, and, and stuff, it only goes so far if, if you don't have someone who's credible that actually understands like the science and can make sense of things for people. Um, so I think that that really helped us a lot in the beginning. And it, so I want to go back to the thing you mentioned. There's there's three things that you have to have, right? Which is to be contrarian, to be right. And then the third point you made was to execute relentlessly. So I want to talk about that third point then, the the execution mm -hmm. piece of it. And I think use that to segue into our, our discussion of the data specifically, right? So we'll quickly, I'm, I'm sharing my screen here for those of you who are watching on YouTube. For those of you who are listening, what is before me is Heart and Soil's diagnostic report. And one thing that you'll notice if you're looking at it is that there are only two metrics. Well, there are three metrics really that are below benchmark or rather that are missing benchmark. But in each case, so cost of delivery, right, which is sort of variable cost is 39% against a benchmark of 30%. That's not that far off. Then cash conversion cycle is 30 days, which is not that far off. That's a really good cash conversion cycle on average or compared to the average rather. And then finally, number of revenue peaks. So last year, your brand had one revenue peak, which is one month that was more than 25% over the mean. But the reason is that every single month, your growth curve is like this. It's, it's up and to the right the entire time. So in other words, Heart and Soil's entire year was one big revenue peak. So I could, you could sort of throw that out as a problem. So what we're left with is essentially a perfect scorecard. And so I want to go through a few of these different metrics. We've talked a lot about sort of the creating the evangelists and the believers, and that explains to some extent the LTV. But maybe explain a little bit about the executional aspect of getting such a incredible 60-day incremental revenue growth percentage, let's say. So for those who are listening, their score is 79.65% incremental growth over 60 days against the benchmark of 30. And then over one year, the revenue grows 222%. Their one-year LTV is 222% higher than their first order revenue. So Dean, let's talk a little bit about the tactics that go into executing or pulling that off, really. Yeah, I think one tactic is, is just down to the product at the product level. You know, supplement, subscription, 30-day supply. That's one piece of it, right? It, it lends itself probably to better retention compared to different types of, different types of products. However, I think there's a lot tact, tact, with tactics that you can do to 
to, to drive that up and, and to keep it up. And one of them is just to offer an incredible experience on the front lines with your support team, with your success teams at heart and soil. You know, our mission is to provide this nutrition and to inspire and guide people to radical health. And for us, it wasn't enough to say, oh, let's just answer all the customer support tickets and, and call it good. We see that as an opportunity to, to connect with our customers, to remove barriers in their lives. So we have a team of health guides that are very well educated on these matters and the lifestyle matters. And we have long form, sometimes months conversations with customers and we're, we're helping them. You know, we're helping them remove barriers, helping them with, they, they might want some suggestions on, you know, their macros of their diet or even mental barriers. So we go the extra mile to meet them where they're at and to help them. And we've, I think just through that channel alone, we've created just so many raving fans that, you know, once you help somebody in that way and it's meaningful, they're going to go talk about that with, with their loved ones or their friends. So that's been a, a pretty intentional tactic from day one that I think has served us really well. Some other things that we do is, you know, we, we try to stay relevant and in their world, right? We produce a podcast where we give practical tips and applications. We actually take calls from customers live on air and we talk to them and our, our host is an incredible health coach, uh, does a really good job with people. So we just offer multiple points throughout that journey when they're into our product for them to stay engaged and to get value out of the content and to make them think about things they might not have thought about before. The other thing I'll say is that most companies I interact with have a natural disposition towards acquisition as the primary driver of their growth. I think that Dean and team have a natural disposition towards retention. And what do I mean? So practically, Dean, talk a little bit about the goal for the year and what you sort of set as what you call the special group of customers who are committed to engaging not just with your product, but with a broader lifestyle. And the way that you've sort of led the company around an orientation around creating loyalists more than you are about acquiring new customers. And I think that disposition is part of what reinforces this flywheel. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Taylor, thank you, because without your mentorship, I, I wouldn't have this metric <laughs> to go after. Yeah, so we're kind of thinking like, what could be one North Star metric that everyone can rally behind around the entire company and where every kind of meaningful area of the business plays a role. And we came up with what we call a radical health seeker goal. So a radical health seeker is someone who's ordered two times or more, once within the last six months. And they also have a combined NPS score of over nine. So we've been tracking that and our, our Kind of big hairy goal for the long term over three years is to have 200,000 uh, radical health seekers. And you can see if you don't have your acquisition on point, if you're not retaining customers, if your product unboxing experience is not good, all those touch points really matter. So everybody here at the company, all the teams kind of play a role in making that happen. It also gives us somewhere to troubleshoot, right? We, if we're, if we're low, we can figure out, hey, is, Retention falling off, new customer acquisition. Did that not hit more than did it to hit? So I, I love that North Star metric, and it's really easy for everybody at the company to understand and stay aligned with. 
I love it because, so we have another customer who has a goal around filling the Michigan big house with new customers this year. And that's an awesome goal too. Oh, but both of them, yeah, they create different organizational <laughs> dispositions, right? And towards what is the primary thing we're trying to do? And I, I know I feel this a lot, even as a service provider, that for so long, you have this sort of evolutionary skill that the way you survive is going out hunting. You get sales, right? Like you got to go get a new customer to survive. But there's something about the way that you guys entered into this that I think allows you to have this immense focus on the experience of your customers and inviting them into a deeper connection and lifestyle that is what shows up in that 222% increase in value in a year, right? Because the only way you do that is someone is committed to the continual consumption of your supplements. And that has to be a lifestyle decision. Like if, if any of us think about what's a diet you've followed for a year, right? Well, there aren't many yeah. unless you are radically committed to that being a benefit in your life. And that is a sort of an entire system of belief that surrounds that and connection, value at price. Like there's so much that goes into that. And I think that your guys' organizational disposition is what shows up in that LTD. Now, I'm going to have a hard time mm. justifying why then the CAC is so good on the, in a second too, but we'll get to that <laughs> as well. Yeah. And I drop well, one more point that is yeah. kind of aligned with this whole, whole thing. One thing that I learned from you, Taylor, I kind of was aware of it, but you took it to a whole other level with me is, is finding everything that your organization around what you're trying to do in your value set. And so we've been pretty uncompromising in terms of who we bring onto the team. And I think this goes into this retention because if you hire people that don't really care, but they want a job, then you're not going to get the best output from this person. They're not going to be totally bought in and fully committed to taking care of your customers. So for us, you know, our passion is to live this lifestyle and to spread the message to others. We, we don't hire folks who, who aren't into this, who don't live it themselves. So leading by example is a huge thing that we, that we follow here. And we make our hiring decisions based on it. We make our, you know, promotion firing decisions based on that and our values. It, it's just a good lens to look at things through and to build your entire foundation on that. And I'll, I'll give you a story of how real this is. Dean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell this story. When I started, so Dean and I have been doing some work together around building some organizational structure and system and goals for his, his company. And when I started, I was like, all right, Dean, I want you to have all of your employees send me a video about who they are, what they do. And if you go to the office where Dean, like they, when he says they live it, it's like they're barbecuing steaks, they're doing cold plunge, they're working out, like they're getting out in the sun and so I get these videos back and I'm like going through and there's, you know, men and women telling me about their job. And all of a sudden, like a dude shows up and he's just shirtless and he's just like recording a video for me shirtless. And I was like, the fact that in a professional setting, you would think that there's no big deal sending a shirtless video to a stranger about what you do for your job is so exemplary of like, there's a people that live a common lifestyle inside of the organization in a way that like permeates into every bit of the interaction. So you invite people in, you attract people into a lifestyle that's a deeper connection, creates more continuity with the product. And then again, more advocates and evangelists that cycle from there. So it's very real. You're going to yeah, laugh, Taylor. Say, we, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, real go ahead. quick. We had a uh, in for a job last week and uh, spent a lot of the day with him. And I went home and I got out of my truck and I looked down at it and I was, you know, barefoot. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I just spent a whole day. I'll give, if I would have told myself that back when I was in the corporate world, I would have been like, you're nuts, you're crazy. Yeah, but I know. You didn't you know, even think about it. It didn't even cross your mind to think. It's weird. It I didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think like the, the dedication both of like your staff and then also of the customer as reflected in this LTV, both of those things, like an important thing to point out is that this is fundamentally a testament to the product. Like if you think about how great a product it is, a supplement that actually visibly obviously works, that's that's a tough thing to come by. And so like one other element of this business that sort of just struck me is that the lifetime value of the customer could conceivably be their actual lifetime as well. Because if you're providing if you're providing a product that actually does what it says it's going to do and that would be most beneficial to the customer if they take it all the time for the rest of their lives, then in that sense, like there, there's an upper limit to this LTV that few other businesses I could even think of could touch. So I, I want to jump in then to the next, the next that Taylor alluded it, to it. And oftentimes brands we see with incredible retention scores don't have great FOV to NCAC. They're acquiring close to break even and then making up the money on the back end, so to speak. Mm. That is not the case with Heart and Soil. So your current NCAC is $13 to acquire a new customer against an AOV of around $113. So you're acquiring customers really, really cheaply somehow. Can you explain how you made this happen? I mean, it's through the organic traffic that I alluded to earlier. And I think we have some really good, great things like top of funnel that are organic. For example, our, our founder does a brilliant job on his Instagram and his podcast, we're spreading this message and making sense of things. Our social team here at Hard Soil, led by Melanie, has done an incredible job. I and mean, we've grown the account from zero. Now. We're over 250K right now, really high engagement. But at the end of the day, I think there's a, there's a principle in here that matters when it comes to the organic content. And it's a way that we've positioned ourselves as a brand. There's a book by Donald Miller called Story Brand. And I read that a long time ago before Heart and Soil even existed. And I was like, you know what? This makes complete sense to me. I don't like being told what to do by somebody else. I don't like when people talk down to me. And when you think about diet and stuff, a lot of times you, you get that where people are like, I'm right, you need to do X, Y, and Z, right? So we position ourselves as a guide in the story and our customers are the heroes. So if you look at anything, whether it's the films, we do films, documentaries, and our YouTube, um, our Instagram account does very well. We, we approach it from that angle. We're the guide and we're, we're trying to educate, we're trying to inspire and we're trying to guide. So that, that, mm -hmm. that principle holds true in all of our organic channels, which I think really helps. Yeah, and, and also your, your organic percentage of revenue, of course, is 80% against the benchmark of 50. So that, that also tells that same story. I was yeah. curious if you could sort of walk us through like how maybe, maybe the specifics of that organic or the tactics you use to drive that organic traffic, especially at the beginning. Cause you mentioned like when you joined Heart and Soil, Heart and Soil was barely a company. And mm -hmm. so walk me through the process of where did you find these people to come in organically, for instance? Good question. Yeah. Um, so some people would look at Heart and Soil like day one, I think it was July 26, 2020, right? That's when the doors open. But what's not talked about a whole lot is our founder, Dr. Paul, grew an Instagram presence in a podcast for four years. So you put in a lot of sweat equity, a lot of work on building a very highly engaged audience. And it, it came at a time where 
at least in the health world, people started becoming aware of this thing called a carnivore diet, you know, mm. uh, all meat-based diet. Our founder, you know, he, he was the only physician in the space really talking about it and making it sense for people. So, you know, through his content, I think he gave some folks confidence to do something different with their life, with their lifestyle. And I, that was the main thing, the beginning for us to get some traction is that he had built, you know, an incredible network, incredible audience at Angler's extremely high level of trust there. So when we launched the product, we had the opposite that some businesses have. Some businesses have, okay, now how do we get this in front of people? Right. They spend a lot of time on their logo or this and that. And then it's like, okay, I got to find customers now. For us, we had the opposite problem where we had the world's worst site. It was terrible. The experience of the website was terrible. There were very little systems built, but we had, you know, thousands of people who rushed into the store and wanted to buy this product. So that was the hard thing for us is figuring out, okay, how do we tame this chaos? How do we build a solid foundation? How do you take care of these people in the most meaningful way? And then shortly after he went on Joe Rogan, which is funny because our store went out of stock with almost everything, even before the Joe Rogan bump. So we didn't really take uh, advantage of that like we could. But I hope that answers your question. I, I think that was the driver, of, like in the beginning, at least most of the organic. And then we faced this decision, you know, do we keep the brand you know, uh, the main influencer as the heart of the brand, as the person front and center. And we thought, you know what, we need this brand to stand on its own. So let's, let's create an identity here and let's, the, the two can exist, you know, on their own and help each other out. So that's what we did. We started really trying to build our own brand and which I think over time has, has really grown and is contributing to a lot of this organic traffic that we're seeing come to our site. Yeah. So I love that you said that there are four years of audience development and trust earning in order to create these things. I think sometimes we're all hoping that the answer is like, oh, we did a post on Reddit and all of a sudden here we are. But the reality is, is like what we're talking about here is genuine connection between people and product and ideology in a way that takes a long time to foster. And you don't earn trust and authority such like Paul has without that sort of level of continual outpouring where you're giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and answering questions and interacting prior to that. And then you guys have picked that up as a brand now and you carry that same attribute with the podcast and customer service. There's the same ethos yeah. of like, this is built on a conversation between two people for the sake of their benefit. And it's rooted then in everything that you do, such that now the answer to where does organic traffic come from, it's like, yeah, TikTok is part of it, but also there's this organic flywheel of now we have a lot of customers that tell other people because we turn them into evangelists. So there's like an organic flywheel of referral and evangelism that happens. And then the third thing is that there's this like underlying social trend, I think, around carnivore as a cultural zeitgeist item that like one of the things that you and I and your team was doing that I thought was really cool was that you guys think about altering the conditions in which your business exists. So what does that mean? You had a goal around comparing the search volume for carnivore dieting in comparison to keto, as an example, as an underlying macro trend that if you could affect that, you would reap the benefit of. And I think as marketers, sometimes we miss this opportunity to say, rather than just thinking about affecting my product, 
what is the context in which it exists and how does the, what is the broader cultural disposition to that idea? So maybe talk a little bit about how you guys fit within a broader theme of carnivore and how you see your role in that overall trend. Yeah, interesting. It's actually animal-based now. In the very, like day one, it was part of There you go, there Um, you go. This is actually a cool thing I think about the brand and about Paul even is, you know, we're not so stuck on being right that we're unwilling to change our minds and be flexible. And, you know, Paul kind of reevaluated the role of carbohydrates in diet, but from specific sources like fruits, you know, changed his tune on it. And, and we kind of changed the, the way that we message about this stuff, which has been interesting. But yeah, we, we look at it. We almost coined the term animal-based diet actually at Heart and Soil. I, it, it just wasn't out there at all previously. I remember sitting actually in, in the room with Doug and Dylan and, and Paul. It's animal-based. Let's, let's call this the animal-based diet. You know, it's opposite of the plant-based and it gets the point across. But yeah, I can't remember what your question was, Taylor, exactly. But well, that just is one about- of the things we're looking at. We, yeah, so so you guys, when you think about your podcast or these other things, you're not just out advocating for your product, right? Like when you talk no, about it, the no. I, you guys advocate for this overall sort of approach to holistic eating, right? And in a lifestyle mm-hmm. almost where maybe your product is a part of that, but it's certainly not all of it. And you would advocate very much actually for specific foods and the, even your response to certain oils and different things. And so in a way, you guys are advocating for something bigger than just the product. And I think sometimes the trend related to that then becomes a wave that you get to ride and get connected to. But you're not just saying, buy my specific supplement. There's a broader thing that you're advocating for that I think as the zeitgeist picks that up, you naturally ride this progressive wave to more organic demand as well because you're connected to the idea. Couldn't have said it better myself. Go ahead, Richard. Oh, sorry. I was, I was going to say, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, uh, the brand Go Ruck, like a sort of the yes. rucking movement. I feel like that's yeah. kind of sort of a uh, parallel to, to your industry as well. But I think one thing that I find fascinating about their content, for instance, is rucking. So rucking, for those who don't know, is you carry a bunch of weight in a backpack and walk around. And the idea is that our ancestors, that's essentially was all of the exercise that they did. We are built as human beings to walk around and carry things that are heavy. And yeah. one thing that I find fascinating about Go Ruck, and it sounds like this is something similar to what Heart and Soil does, is that their content is all about getting you to go rucking without them selling you a product, really. They're saying, let us explain to you how you can do it yourself without actually buying our product. And of course, at the end of the day, once you do that enough, you'll sort of come to understand that you need something a little bit more optimized to rucking, and then you go ahead and get the ruck, their actual yeah. backpack. Features yeah. versus benefits, right? You know, our, our mission is to help people achieve radical health. and I would be lying if I were to be sitting here and telling people like, all you need to do is take the supplement, you know, like it's a piece of the equation, but at the end of the day, you know, what we believe strongly part of our core ethos is that the way that we're designed as people, we're not meant to sit around all day. We're not meant to be in isolation. We need community. We're not like growth only occurs on the fringes of comfort, right? Anything in nature grows Mm -hmm. through resistance. So there's all of these things associated with this lifestyle, get people closer towards what we call radical health. Really what that means is that people are are thriving and they're living to their potential. And that's really what we believe. And we offer the supplements to make them convenient, safe, 
and an effective form of nutrition, but there's a bigger story here that we're trying to tell. Yeah. I think that idea of enablement of an aspirational identity is a really powerful place for brands to sit. is that mm -hmm. you want to sell the aspirational identity and your product is part of the enablement that brings it to life. You're always pointing back to that thing. It's less self-serving, it's less self-emotional. Yeah. It's easier for people to advocate for the lifestyle than it is to advocate for a specific product. Like all these ways in which that makes a ton of sense. So I think when I think about your guys' organic traffic, you know, again, we so often, because we want to replicate and take it and learn something from it, we want to boil it down to like a specific set of marketing things to do. But there really is a DNA element of the underlying approach to the whole thing that enables the organic flywheel, that enables the community development and all, the, all, all sorts of things like that. So uh, creating advocates that are, you know, again, to borrow the Seth Godin term, sneezers, people that are out there spreading the idea is, is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, we you definitely Seth Godin too. We always talk about, we want, a, we want the type of customer, if we serve them well enough and do what we need to do, that's going to drive 50 miles to buy the product, buy a cheaper alternative across the street. I was going to mention, Dean, so you, you mentioned at the beginning of this sort of like line of questioning that you guys decided to start with building, building the brand in the sense of building the organic traffic, getting the product to people before you thought about the website and the logo and all that kind of thing. I think one, one way that you guys have sort of gotten to a point of having your cake and eating it too, is that the actual branding and the website here, let me quickly share this tab here, is actually is beautiful. So you've gotten to the point where your branding is actually awesome and the construction of the website is great. And obviously I think that goes a long way to, to creating a certain amount of brand trust. One thing I wanted mm -hmm. to talk about a little bit with, with this FOV to NCAC thing is just how good, or, or specifically the first order revenue or the AOV, which is $113. And so on average, I would say each one of these supplements costs about 50 bucks a pop. And so the way that you guys have constructed a system to get people to add a number of things to the cart is also really, really, really impressive and not something that I've seen before. So you have this bar that kind of like builds you up towards free shipping. If I were to like say add the beef organs to the cart, it immediately gives you sort of the whole package, the frequently bought together piece. Like the actual construction of this is pretty compelling, I think. And this so what happens when you... You have somebody without any e-commerce experience, think about a shopping experience because yeah. <laughs> worked on this a lot. And again, I had zero experience coming into this, but I was talking with the developers and stuff like, wouldn't it be cool if we had this bar and we kind of worked it out and like, don't we want to suggest something that might, you know, complement the supplement? Um, and that's kind of how that came. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like it's easy. I think for those of us who are deep in the e-commerce world to get kind of hung up on what quote unquote, best practices are like what we see other people doing without being able to think outside of the box and say like, well, what if we just did this thing that would make the shopping experience easier? But anyway, yeah, I, I just wanted to call that out because that's another element of that incredible FOV to NCAC is that $113 of NAOV just doesn't come to you. I mean, the way that this is constructed kind of brings you to that number. I also think it's really an interesting call out that like of all the CEOs I know in e-commerce, very few of them begin from a creative background. Um, and that's actually Dean's background, right? So he's a creative first, like a lot of the branding is all him. Like a lot of the design is all him. I know a bunch of people have added to it in since then, but he sees things that way. Part of this too, like, and we're going to probably talk a little bit here briefly about paid media, right? Which is like, this is what CDC normally talks about, but I want everyone right now to recognize the reason when I'm saying things on Twitter or wherever that like creative, iterative, creative, and all that hook rate da, 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 doesn't matter. What I'm really getting at 
is that you are trying to create the brand and connection and product such that most ads crush because the deeper underlying attributes of the thing are actually what matters so much more than the thumb stop rate. Like we don't think about that in heart and soil world because it's not the problem that we're trying to solve in most cases. Now, there are times where it still is a piece of the conversation. I'm not totally dismissive of it, but the reality is most of their ads work. Most of the ads crush. Most of the, And so it's a lot more around like, hey, right, what's the right offer design? Where are the most valuable customers? How do we extract more of that? How do we create an even better experience on the back end? And so when you're in that space, that's actually when you've found a brand that's really going to work. But if you're in this place where you're desperately trying to find something to say to convince people to buy it and most are dismissive of it and most people don't come back, like you're just in the wrong problem space. And I think this is like wh where I see these experiences and what informs that opinion so much. So, okay. So you mentioned then paid media tailor. So is there anything like, what do you want to tease out on that? Because obviously that, that's got to play a role in, in this sort of minuscule NCAC that they have, but maybe to talk through that a little bit. Well, it's funny, Dean. I bet this is the highest NCAC you guys have ever had because you're just yeah, now yeah. starting to dabble into paid media at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think it is, it's on a slightly the, downward the trend. Is, yeah, exactly. It, I think so much of it has been like, how do you create the supply chain that enables the next level of acquisition to even be possible for you guys has been the bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. But maybe tell me, how do you think about that? Because I bet there's people listening. Like I can imagine, you know, somebody on the other end of this going like, what a waste. You should be spending way more money. Why aren't you, why is your cat too good? Like you should be more aggressive. Like what would you say has been the constraint and why are you constrained in how much you're spending? And therefore, because like, at the LTV, you could push to forge shorter break even. Like what, what, how do you mm -hmm. think about how you how paid media plays a role in a system that has this much organic demand. Yeah, I think there's a few things here. One of the most obvious ones is the one that you mentioned with the supply chain. I mean, I, we've had to do so much work on the supply chain from day one. It, it's very complex. Starts in New Zealand, you know, on farms, and there's a number of materials that we're, you know, harvesting there. We're trying, the, the, the demand that we have today compared to two years ago for glandulars is, is massively increased. So we've had to build very strong relationships on the supplier side with our manufacturers. And it's been a partnership in, in trying to build the right system so they can scale with us. So that's been the, one of the main things and reasons why, you know, you're not seeing us make those types of moves. The other two, and I don't know, maybe to me, it's smart, but I, we've had a very concern. You can also notice that our OPEX, our, efficient, our efficiency is very good. You know, we're running at like, I think 10.5% of total revenue on the OPEX side. I'm, I'm a slow burn type of person in, in a lot of cases. And from day one, you know, I, in, the, in my previous roles, I've hired people, I've built teams, those kinds of things. And and I know it, it doesn't take too much to throw things off kilter. In the beginning, when you're reacting to just trying to get you know, your supply chain intact, you're trying to figure out how like your philosophies with like interacting with customers. Um, in my opinion, you know, we didn't have good process and foundations with like our hiring process, with performance evaluations, with all of these different types of things, forecasting, forecasting roles and, and thinking a year out, two years, three years out. So I've, I've been very conservative with how quickly do we want to grow this thing? Because I, I don't want the, the wheel to get off center, start wobbling, and then the whole thing crash. So 
figure out what that balance is of like, let's push things forward and let's grow at a, a very healthy pace. Let's not go too slow and let's not go. Again, wise words that I, I just, I would encourage everybody listening to take this to heart. And, and this is amidst a very fast growing company, like one of the fastest I've ever seen, but, but there are yet still there's constraints and you're holding it back actually in some ways to build the underlying infrastructure that can sustain it. And I think the supply chain is such a good example where I see brands that so often, I think COVID is a great example of this. I heard Mike Beckham talking about this on the operators podcast is that during COVID, what happened was that when the demand came at a level, businesses didn't have the underlying infrastructure on the supply chain, on the actual demand side to actually satiate it in a way that they could realize the profit. And so a lot of brands are dying right now of indigestion. They tried to rapidly scale into demand that was volatile, that changed up and down. They didn't have the underlying systems for it. So they tried to ramp up OPEX too fast or bought too much inventory because they couldn't actually forecast it because the demand wasn't predictable. And all of that leads to really bad decision-making. And so the more, the more variable the outcome is based on the data, the harder it is to be sure about the decisions you're making. And as a leader, it's really hard to make good decisions in that kind of environment. So Dean, I, th I have a lot of respect for your willingness and I'm sure even to some pressure of the partners and founders that, that want to keep going, uh, that you're push pressing up again. So I think it's a really important thing for people to learn from. Yeah, I appreciate that. Sorry. The other thing I was going to say there with like growing too fast is that, you know, your strategy lags a bit. So, you know, we were serving a certain type of customer a year ago. And if we were really would have pressed on the gas pedal, I don't think we would have had the right strategies in place to be able to take care of those people the way that they need to be taken care of, you know? For example, we think about somebody who's never heard about this before. I think just trying to get them to replace their multivitamin is a good first step versus our old audience. You know, you might bring them in with content and stuff around cold plunging or whatever, but this person doesn't want to hear about that, right? So we just have to focus on one problem here with that particular person. So pressing that gas pedal too fast, we wouldn't have been in a place to really cater to that, to that audience, to that person and really help them in the best way. All right, we're, we're running up on time here. So I, I think we'll, we'll get out of here. But before we do, maybe Dean and, and, and maybe Taylor as well, give us like a one-sentence summary of what, what the lesson is here from Hardy Soil. If you could give everybody one piece of advice, what would it be? Maybe we'll start with you, Dean. With me, one piece of advice. Yeah. Um, find something that you care about doing and put your all into it and don't hold back. I think that would be my advice. And, Previous in my career, I've held back and I haven't gone on a heck of a ride. Wise words. Yeah. Taylor? I, I've, I've tweeted before, build a religion, don't build a brand. And I, I think when you see here is when you, when you overlap like the genetic attributes, this is sort of like, how do you get yeah, you know, Usain Bolt? Well, you overlap the underlying genetic attributes with the immense environmental conditions to commitment and excellence. And when those things happen, like you get the best in the world. And, and this is really cool to be able to see that both of those things are present here. Obsession, commitment, ruthless, like this is real for the people that are participating in it and building it. It means something to them. The mission, purpose, values are all there. And then you have all the tactical attributes of great margin, awesome LTV, good customer acquisition, great branding, cool website UX. Like when those things come together, and this is why like e-com, you know, there's sort of this idea that e-com is either dead, it's either binarily good or bad. And the reality is, no, it's just like every other industry, which is awesome businesses produce awesome results and mediocre businesses produce mediocre results. And Heart and Soil is a testament to that. So 
enjoy that. And I think use it as a benchmark for your own GQ score and uh, go learn from Dean too, because he's trying to get out there on the socials. Where, where are you at on Twitter these days, Dean? Um, Dean C. Brennan. You can follow me on Twitter. I've been a little more active on there lately. It's been fun. The D2C awesome. world is, is really kind. I... It's a good group. Well, D2C loves you now that they've heard you, Dean. So we appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for joining us. And thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you next week.